This podcast is brought to you by Wikes Ferry Road Church. For more information, please visit WFRChurch.org. I'm going to get Bill to say a prayer for us this morning and we'll get started. William, go ahead. Our Father, God in heaven, creator of all things, and our Lord Jesus, who through his human life faced the cross and died for us and rose from the grave to give us victory over the grave. He sent the Spirit to us to guarantee our salvation and to give us strength to walk day by day. You're our God, and we worship you and honor you in every way we can. We thank you, Father, for this class that Pam is reminding us of all the road signs you put into history, each of them pointing toward our Savior. And, and, and the variety and the background of all these, Father, are just absolutely stimulating because so many factors are involved in it. Bless Pam this morning as she has her lesson. Bless each of us in class and we'll be more awestruck by our Father that we love so much in heaven. We thank you. We pray for your guidance and your protection, Father. Until you call us home. In Jesus' name, we help of the Spirit. Amen. I have a list of, um, I made a whole bunch of copies. Actually, I'm going to give these to Louie. If you'll put them on that back table, Louie. This, this is the one of the big books I use um, in preparing the feast. And several people have asked me if I had any resources and this is it right here lots of other stuff but this will be a great blessing to you you can order it online or i don't know if you'll have to go maybe a bookstore but i wanted to make sure i made that available to you okay week 11 can you believe it week 11 haven't we had fun hasn't it had a blast i have just had a blast today we're going to be looking at our ninth feast hanukkah have you guys anybody ever heard of Hanukkah and wondered what in the world it is? Because in Ohio, and I'm sure those of you who get Fox News, around Christmas time they always show a menorah that looked like this, and it says, Happy Hanukkah. Am I the only one that noticed that? And I used to scratch my head and think, you know, really? Really? I mean, isn't it all about Christmas? Well, today you're going to understand why really Christmas is so connected to Hanukkah. And Hanukkah, of course, came first. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be an exciting lesson today. Um, The Feast of Hanukkah was first celebrated about 165 years before Jesus. So it's not an old feast. Like some of the feasts are so much older. So get in your mind, about 165 years before Jesus was born is when they started the Jewish people celebrating Hanukkah. Pretty new feast. I want you to look around real quick, though, at the posters. I want us just to take a minute And look at the beauty of what God laid out for us to show us how much he loved us. I want you to look at God's heart. All of the posters are just little little tiny flashes and gifts of God's heart to his people. As he told his people to observe these feasts, these holy convocations. 
as they were tender, gentle ways of God expressing his love for us. These, um, These little feasts are just snapshots of his love as he woos us and offers us that cup. Remember, I don't think you can probably ever take communion again without thinking about the offering of the cup in a marriage proposal. Every time it passes by me, I just want to hold my cup and review all that we learned on that, on, uh, that week when we talked about the first century marriage proposals. Awesome. But what I wanted to ask you today, if you have a minute, and we do, we're going to take it. If you feel like speaking, I know you're shy. Which feast touched you? I mean, did any of the feasts in a particular way touch you? Don't say all of them. Did, any, did you feel more moved by one? I know you're shy, but see if I can get two or three people to, to say, I was really touched by this one. You don't have to explain why. Anybody? First fruits was Edie's. That really touched you. Anybody else have one other than that or the same one? I like Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. You liked this one here? Purim? Debbie, what were you saying? Tabernacles. Anybody else on this side? This is the quiet side. Unleavened bread. You liked unleavened bread too? All right. That's so cool. Anybody else? Trumpets. And everybody has a different reason why that particular feast touched their heart. I just wanted to see um, what you guys are thinking about all these awesome feasts. Anybody else want to share? Okay. 1,400 years before Jesus was born, these feasts laid out the redemptive program of, our, of the gospel of our Messiah. And that's what blows me away is because it didn't just start with Jesus. And when I learned about L.O. Lamb, the God of the big picture, learned that first, then I saw all these feasts. I was just blown away that for 1,400 years before Jesus came, he had laid out, as Pop said, road signs pointing to Messiah. That's so cool. He, he, he laid these feasts out promising he gave us four promises let's see if we can i'm going to have a competition you're going to do one two three four okay you know what i mean promise one promise two promise three promise four the first promise is i'll bring you out one two three i will bring you out i will set you free i will redeem you i will make you my own that's good you guys didn't know those 11 weeks ago did you that's so cool i love them i just i just love them i want to say that we've been We have been so richly blessed by this study, haven't we? I know I have, and I'm telling you, I just want you to look at all of this, and I think we need to blast that trumpet. Very good, Zach. We have so much trumpet blasting to do that I've incorporated to today because we had Paul blast for the teens on Wednesday, and it about wore him out. So he said, I'm not even coming today. No, Paul's preaching away. Anyway, let's review, let's review the seven feasts, if you guys can say them. One. Well, let's do the feasts. Okay, not the names, just the feasts. Whoa, whoa, whoa. One, two, three. Good job. No, 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 no. That's not it. It's this one. Tabernacles. Now the two that came later. Cream and oh, okay, we're getting confused. Very good. The last two feasts, Purim and Hanukkah, were not commanded by God in Leviticus 23. Those were feasts that came along later, like 
our Labor Day in America or maybe our Thanksgiving. They came along later in the history of God's people. So I just want you guys to understand those weren't commanded, but they were great feasts that God's people um, celebrated every year. And a big, a, a big theme in these feasts was teaching, God's, teaching the world and especially God's people to fight against anti-Semitic hatred towards his people. And it does seem like that God's people have been really beat up on over the centuries, doesn't it? Purim, 500 years before Jesus was born, was the time when the evil Haman, you guys just feel like blowing your whistles, right? When evil Haman came on the stage and wanted to annihilate all the Jews in 127 provinces, and God used a young, frightened Jewish girl to save his people. See, we think God uses huge people all the time. You want to know who the real heroes are in God's economy? Just the little people that are faithful to his calling, whatever manner in which he's called us to be faithful. And Esther did a good job. Frightened and all, she did a really great job. I do want to say thank you, though, to Adam Sandler. Anybody ever heard of him? I know why you're laughing. Adam Sandler did more to teach America about Hanukkah than anybody else over the past 200 years. Why? Anybody know why? Tell your friend Veronica it's time to celebrate Hanukkah. And I want to thank David Bromley for sitting me down in my office and letting me hear the song. I'd never heard it. Am I the only one? Am I the only one? Oh, Mom hadn't? Okay. 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 I'd never heard it. If I had had time, if I had had time, I would have played it for you today, but I didn't have time. The feasts really do have their place in Christianity. Edie just told me before class started that John Hagee's church in San Antonio, Texas, they celebrate the feast. And it's so awesome because it really does um, blow our minds that God was working and crocheting his covenant promises through the centuries. And I think that it really teaches us a lot about God and a lot about God in flesh, Jesus. And I just love it. And in and, and, and Christianity, there's a place for these feasts. 1 Corinthians 5, I read it to you before. I'm going to read it again. Paul the Apostle said, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? What feast are you thinking of? Unleavened bread. Get rid of the old yeast that you may, that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival. You've got to understand that Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits were really considered, although technically they're three feasts, they were celebrated as one. So Paul is saying, keep the festival. Why is he saying this? Because there's great value to help us remember, like Lori said, therefore keep the festival, not with the old yeast, but with the bread without yeast. Now that has rich meaning for you, right? Now you're like, ooh, I better go home and clean the yeast of sin out of my house because we've learned that yeast is a what? It's a growing thing, right? It grows and grows and grows until it consumes us. We all have a story. Don't we all have a story? We all have a story. Get rid of the the yeast of sin in your house. But today we're going to walk through history past and we're going to look at the Feast of Hanukkah, also called, repeat after me, the Feast of Dedication. Or the Festival of Lights. Okay, anytime you hear that, you know they're talking about Hanukkah. 
First, I want to take you down a little side road, side road because we need to talk about oil. Say that. Oil. oil. Because Hanukkah is a miracle of oil. And if I leave that out, the feast isn't going to have as much meaning for you. Oil is really important in our world today. Wouldn't you say, Pam, I'm with you on that. I mean, wars are fought over oil, right? Governments are willing to kill for oil, right? And you guys are shelling out get big money to have it, aren't you, every week? I mean, I think of oil and I think of that bubbling crude, right? Black gold. What's the next? Texas tea. I mean, you guys that knew that answer are of my generation. Very good. First thing I thought about, oh, Jed Clampett. Oil is so important in our world. Why? Because it keeps our cars running, right? It keeps our semis on the road delivering our stuff. It keeps tractors planting crops and harvesting crops and keeps our four-wheelers going, right, and our boats going. And it fuels our cars and heats our homes. Let's talk for just a minute about what oil, what things that are produced from oil. You guys have a black card. Those of you who have a black card, look what comes from oil. Number one. Is that important, Lori? How many women in here? How many women in here would like to see our cosmetics disappear? Terrible. We really love oil. Number two. Okay, what's made from synthetic rubber? Tires. Very important in our world. Number three. We need that oil, don't we, for our engines, our lawnmowers. Number four. Medications. If you're on a medication, please raise your hand. We don't want to lose our medications. They're very important to our world. Number five. Cleaning products. They use oil for that. Six. Yeah, we got nice roads. We need that oil. Seven. Whoa, 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 whoa. correction. Louisiana doesn't have nice roads. I have discovered that. But Ohio has a lot nicer roads than Louisiana. Okay, next one. Who has the next one? Fabrics. Yeah, anybody in here wearing a synthetic fabric today? A lot of synthetic. Yeah, not cotton. So all these other ones, these flowy fabrics and this double net red, all that comes from oil. Okay, what's the next one? Fertilizers and pesticides. Nine. And ten. Fuel. Absolutely. The one who control, those who control the oil control the world, wouldn't you say? And they become very rich and very powerful. And oil is really, really important in our culture and in other cultures. But also oil is very important in the ancient world, and we're going to talk about that for just a minute. Now, in the Hebrew mind, we always want to go back to the Hebrew mind, oil was a symbol of, repeat after me, blessings, Blessings. anointing of priests, priests. and it was a sign of prosperity. prosperity. That's right. In the Old Testament book of Job, let's talk about what oil was a sign of. Number one, who has one? Great prosperity. Great prosperity in Job's life. Number two. God's protection. protection. Oil was a a sign of God's protection. Three. Light and dark. dark. Have you guys ever stumbled around in the darkness? You know, we had an ice storm come through Ohio several years ago. We were without power in our house for seven days. It was gloomy and dark. No power. And I stumbled around in my house with a candle every evening. got dark at 530 for seven days, and finally, when that Dayton Power and Light truck came down my road, we were the last road to get power, and flipped that breaker, and the lights came on. I said, I will never forget. I will never forget what it means 
that Jesus is the light of the world. We stumbled around with a little flickering light for seven days, bumped our toes, couldn't see, couldn't read. Oil is a sign of four, three again. Read that. Who had three? Three. Light in the darkness. Four. Friendship with God. Five. Six. Isn't that great? Janice said, yeah, I'll do that one. Because oil is a symbol of our children, God's blessing. In Joel 1.10, the absence of oil was a sign of humiliation. Now, when, if you remember when we went over the feast of Yom Kippur, what was one of the commandments? The people couldn't use what? Remember? They couldn't bathe. They couldn't use cosmetics or oils. They couldn't use lotions. Those were all made from oil. Very good. Um, put the oil of gladness away during national repentance. No oil, no blessing. All of that's to be put away. Oil was used as medicine. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan. He finds the beaten up, wounded man, and what does he do? He pours oil on his wounds. So oil is a, is a picture of healing. Pure oil um, is a sign of the gift of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. Without oil, our lights cannot shine before men. And you know the song, This little Christian light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little Christian light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's good. We won't go through all of it today. I don't have time. We have to have that in order to shine before men. And the production of olive oil has always been very important in the Hebrew world. Remember Jesus went to Gethsemane. We talked about this earlier. What does that word Gethsemane mean? Remember? Olive press. Very good. You take the olives to the Gethsemane and the stone was rolled over those olives to crush the olives to produce oil. And Jesus went to Gethsemane to be crushed so the oil of that crushing of him could give us healing. Now that's some kind of healing, isn't it? Awesome, awesome illustration of how awesome oil is. Now later... At first fruits, where did the first oil that was produced go to during the Feast of First Fruits? Remember? To the, the priest, to the temple. Now, oil would be coming from the second first fruits or the latter first fruits because they always came in a prepared state. That's why we showed you the two loaves of bread at Pentecost. But oil was all the first of the best was always taken to the priest. Very good. Okay. In the Jewish mind then, oil was a sign of one. Who has the orange card? One. Prosperity. Prosperity. Two. Blessing. Blessing. Three. Financial stability. Financial stability. Four. Healing. Yes. And five. That's what the Hebrew thought of when they thought of oil. Now, most important though to the Hebrew mind was that oil was a symbol of light. Always a symbol of light and came to be described as God's Torah, God's holy word. God's holy word, which was a light to his people in a very dark, broken, and, hurt, and hurting world. Psalms 119.105 says, God's word, you guys know it, God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto our paths. Very good. The miracle of Hanukkah then, post right here, is a miracle of oil. And you cannot miss that. Say that with me. The miracle of Hanukkah is a miracle of oil. Okay, let's see how all this got started. Very, very interesting. We know, and I have a little, the best I could do was bring my little bitty temple. This is my temple menorah. Now, a temple menorah has seven candles. Now, actually, 
They didn't use candles. I just want you to understand this. What did they use? Oil. They poured oil in these, in these lamps, and then the flames would burn right out of here from each of these little places here. I'm using candles because they use candles today. But a temple menorah had seven flames. Now, what does seven mean? Okay, so God is, is saying, remember my covenant. Remember my covenant. And I used to see menorahs with seven candles and sometimes with nine, and I did not understand the difference. A Hanukkah menorah has how many lights? How many flames? Nine. And we're going we're gonna to talk about this today, and you're going to understand why the difference, and it's really, really awesome. Okay, the story begins, believe it or not, with a young but mighty conqueror, Alexander the Great. Now, we talked about Haman and Xerxes last week, but today we're going to talk about another mighty conqueror, Alexander the Great. He was um, a man who, had, who was a brilliant, had a brilliant military mind and conquered vast holdings of land. He even took over the land of Persia that Xerxes was, Xerxes is gone now, but he took over that, that land mass, and he was very, very powerful, very talented. And his teacher, Aristotle, told him, Alexander, if you can unite your vast empire and get the people to accept the new and happening Greek culture, then your people will stand together as one. So Alexander thought that would be great. I will unite my people. Um, We will accept the Greek worldview. And there was uh, this pantheon of gods, hundreds of them, right? And he said, we'll do that. And Greek art and poetry that will flood across the nation. And the Greek language, yes. And the Greek worldview. And hey, how about here? The new Greek morality, which was really no morality at all. It was gross immorality. But he said, I'm going to unite the empire through this happening Greek worldview. But something happened to old Al. You know what happened to him? He died at age 32. And he didn't leave an heir, and he didn't get to accomplish all of those things he wanted to accomplish. So there was left this huge void. So his generals then fought tooth and toenail for his land. The only ones I want to talk about today are two. I want to talk about Ptolemy. Say that. And I want to talk about Seleucus. Say that. These two generals flooded in and took part of his empire. Now, Israel at the time was then controlled by the Ptolemies. Say that, the Ptolemies. And that wasn't so bad. I mean, God's people always seem to be occupied by somebody, right? I mean, the New Testament was Rome. At this time, approximately 200 years before Jesus, it was a, it was a new group of people, the Ptolemies. Now, remember, Ptolemy, I don't know if you know this or not, but he had a great heart for learning. He just wanted everybody to learn. Just like our politicians today, what do they boast? Let's sink more money in education. We want people to get educated. And Ptolemy had that heart. He was just hell-bent on spreading intelligence. And so what he did is, he, although he was a pagan king, what he did is God used him as a blessing to the world. He hired men, Jewish men, to translate the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek language, then everybody could be uh, exposed to the God of the Hebrews, right? He, he had these 70 men translate the Hebrew text into the Greek, and it's called the Septuagint. Say that. Septuagint. And that means, interestingly enough, that means 70. Isn't that cool? And so these 70, these 70 Jewish scholars did their translation. Is it time to go already? Okay. Anyway, I'm like, whoa, that went fast. 
Anyway, um, it was such a gift to the world because the people were getting so discouraged with these immoral, visible Greek gods. And so when the translation then became available to the Greek world, people started reading about this invisible, moral God of the Jewish people, and it was attracting people to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But anyway, what happened then, the generals of the day were still frothing at the mouth to conquer land. And God's people then ended up being in bondage or um, being controlled by a different ruler. Not Ptolemy anymore, but a man named Antiochus of Syria. Say Antiochus of Syria. Yeah, he was a madman. You know, that makes the stories more interesting, doesn't it? It just makes them more interesting. His name was Antiochus, and he was hell-bent on forcing Greek, the Greek worldview on everybody he took captive. And now that is the, the kingdom, the, the landmass of God's people. Say this again, Antiochus, the Syrian ruler of the Seleucids, did not share in Ptolemy's tolerance. He wasn't a tolerant ruler. And Antiochus, like his father before him, was one of the cruelest rulers of the day. And his cruelty really did border on sheer madness. He rode into Jerusalem about 175 years before the birth of Jesus. And he was absolutely determined to force Greek culture on the Jewish people. So he had, I just wanted to tell you, he had no idea what he was up against. And I wish that those in our culture today that are determined to press and press an immoral culture on God's people, I wish, they, I wish they could just say to themselves, we have no idea what we're up against with those passionate Christians. I don't think that's always the case. But in this case, when Antiochus poured into town, he had no idea what he was up against when he was going to try to force the Jews to accept this, this Greek worldview. Now, if you'll remember, 500 years before, who was the madman that walked on stage? Haman, say that. Haman, you're blowing those whistles. But now, 200 years before Jesus, it's Antiochus. Approximately 200 years before Jesus came, this madman rode onto the stage of history. He rode into the city of Jerusalem, and all of the Jews that would not obey him were in a heap of trouble. Antiochus Epiphanes, say that. Antiochus Epiphanes, that means God manifest. He rode into the town and he said, I'm God now. I'm God now. Can you imagine what arrogance? And I'll tell you what, the Jewish people were not happy at all. He said, I am Antiochus Epiphanes, God manifest. And throughout my empire, all of my subjects are to become one people. You are to abandon your old gods. You are to abandon your old traditions. You are to abandon your old religion. And now you're going to accept all things Greek. That was his speech. Antiochus Epiphanes outlawed. You have a little yellow slip. He outlawed one. What's one? The Feast of Passover. Everybody repeat what she says. Say it again, Edie. The Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover, two. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. He outlawed three. The Feast of First Fruits, four. The Feast of Pentecost, Pentecost, five. The Feast of Trumpets. The trumpets were silenced now. I just want you to understand how dramatic and traumatic that was for God's people. Six. The Day of Atonement. Atonement. Listen to what I'm saying to you. 
They had no more time together to feel like that they were at one with God. This shook them to the core. Seven. The Feast of Tabernacles. Eight. All animal sacrifices were out. Nine. No Sabbath rest. Look, no more parim. No more celebration of their great deliverance from the evil man, Haman. And this was a time when they needed to think of how God delivered his people 500 years before Jesus Christ. He further outlawed circumcision of all infants. All infant boys were not allowed to be circumcised. That was the sign of the covenant. For covenant means to cut. And the people were horrified that their babies couldn't be circumcised. He outlawed the reading, he outlawed the reading of the Torah, God's law. All temple sacrifices were outlawed, which meant no more sacrifice. You don't understand. These people felt like they were far from God now. He outlawed all things Jewish, and everything Jewish was declared illegal. I mean, can you guys imagine it? I know we, look, we hear these feasts. We talk about them. They're just like black ink on a dusty page. This is so important because we can see sprinkles of this happening in our culture today, can't we? I mean, can you imagine some, say, Middle Eastern power taking control of portions of America and outlawing the reading of your Bible? I tell you, Christians would never read a Bible so much unless it was outlawed, right? I mean, they're going to outlaw the Bible and we're going to scratch and dig and blow the dust off and read that thing. But what if they outlawed church attendance and they torched your building? And you're you're getting the news that WFR is going up in flames. And what if they collected your holy men of of God, your leaders? What if they snatched Bill Smith out of his warm bed at night? And what if they snatched up Paul Stevens and Phil Robertson and John Howard and all your leaders? This, guys, this happened in Germany. And what happens if they're snatched up and then everybody wakes up and says, where's, where's Bill? And they take him away and in the night they behead them. I mean, can we even imagine? What if they outlawed cross? Anybody have a tattoo cross? Nobody in here? Okay, what if they outlawed? Your cro- anybody that has a tattoo cross in this circle, boom, boom, boom. I mean, we got heads rolling. This is what these people were going through. I just want you to understand, this isn't dry ink on a page. This was horror for God's people. What if the citizens of West Monroe were, were forced to deny Jesus and all of your children were collected from your arms so they could be re-educated? So they were taught to despise Christianity. What would you do? Where would you run? Horrible time for these people. This was happening 200 years before the birth of Jesus Christ with God's precious anointed people, the apple of his eye. It's happening in our world today. Just 21 Coptic Christians, 21 Christians from Egypt. Ptolemy was from Egypt. 21 Christians, what happened to them? Was that in February? Lined them up because they believed in Jesus, Messiah. 21, what did they do to them? Beheaded them. Who would have thought of this in our youth? Who would have thought of this madness? And now 168 years before Jesus, another tyrant, tyrant rides onto the stage. And one more time, 
He is going to try to rid the world of God's anointed people. The final blow came in 168 B.C. 168 B.C. Antiochus Epiphanes, the Syrian madman. We got a Syrian madman happening over there now too. The Syrian madman rode into town and on the 25th of Kislev, say that, the 25th of Kislev, that's our December. On December 25th, does that ring a bell? On December 25th, 168 years before the birth of our Jesus, Antiochus burst into the holy temple of the living God and dedicated it to the Greek god Zeus. What must those holy people of God been thinking and been doing? He removed all the sacred furnishings from the temple and he set up a statue of Zeus and he sacrificed swine flesh on the brazen altar dedicated to sacrifices to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Swine flesh, pig flesh. He mockingly sacrificed pigs on the holy altar because they were the most disgusting, filthy, unclean animals to the Jews. He took the sacred text, the scrolls, the old prophet writings, all of the Torah, and he took blood pig blood, and poured them all over God's holy word. What were the priests doing? What were the people doing? He, he did this on December 25th. Can you imagine? The, this man I had dancing before you, what, a week or two ago. I, Paul, Paul, I mean, Paul kind of gave us this, but Dad was really dancing. But can you remember the old men the old men I talked to you about that were dancing under those four candelabras? What were they doing now, these Jewish sages? They were weeping. They were weeping and crying. And they were crying out to God to save them and wearing sackcloth and ashes because Antiochus Epiphanes had ridden into the holy temple, had ridden into Jerusalem, and he had desecrated the temple of the living God. Amazing story, amazing background of this feast. They certainly were thinking of Daniel 11, these, these men who knew the law. Daniel 11 says, his forces, his armed forces, this is from Daniel 11, his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifices. And they're like, oh, and he's doing it. Antiochus is doing what Daniel said. They will set up the abomination that causes desolation. And with flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. Watch out that you're not flattered in this culture. Stand up for truth in this culture. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword. Say it. Fall by the sword. Be burned. Be Be captured. captured. And be plundered. plundered. It was warned. God's holy people sometimes are called to stand there and hurt. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And God's people were standing there and hurting. Many people denied their faith to save their skin, but many would not. And history tells us that 40,000 faithful Jews died in one day under the madness of Antiochus Epiphanes because they would not deny their Lord and Savior. 
The profane actions of Antias Epiphanes, the madman of Syria, brought on a revolt by the Maccabees. This is an awesome story, and I have a few minutes. I'm going to take it. By the Maccabees, a passionate Jewish family. They, were, they had had enough. This passionate Jewish family, this man with five sons, Matthias had had enough of, of Antiochus Epiphanes' pressure to have them deny their faith. Do you ever feel like you've had enough? Do you guys ever watch the news and feel like, I've just had enough? Do you ever get tired of the culture lying to you and pressing you into their mold? Do you ever get tired of them telling you sex outside of marriage is fine, just fine, get with it. Put your young girls on the pill and teach them how to be little whores. Take your sons and give them a couple of condoms. Kick them in the tail and say, go have a good time, son, and learn how to be a manly man whore. Do you get tired of it? Do you get tired of your kids being pressed into this? And even as I teach, I say things like, homosexuality is not ordained and blessed of God. Do you feel the pressure now as we proclaim that of the culture saying, shut your mouth and get in the corner or we'll ruin you financially or we'll ruin your ability to buy and sell. Do you guys get sick of it? Abortion on demand. The culture says, oh, get with it. Women need rights too. Are you kidding me? That we would slay, that we would kill our own precious image bearers of God. I get so sick of it. On and on, pornography, killing marriages, destroying lives of women, children raped and assaulted because evil men whet their appetite with images and you can barely even speak out against it or you're just so old-fashioned, right? I get so sick of the culture trying to silence God's holy people, the carriers of truth. We need to revisit this story of Judah the Maccabee. We're going to do that as quick as we can. He had had enough. Antiochus Epiphanes, the evil madman from Syria, sent a commissioner to a small village about 17 miles from Jerusalem where Matthias and his sons were serving. And this commissioner went there to make sure they offered sacrifices to the God of Antiochus Epiphanes. And the old man Matthias had had enough. And he took from his cloak a sword. And he killed the commissioner. Boom, boom. And he died there, bleeding out. Let me tell you something. The die had been cast for that family. The die had been cast. Matthias and his faithful sons fled to the rugged hills. And what happened is they were joined by a huge and growing number of sympathizers. People who said, we want to join you. We can't stand what's happening to our people. And we want to stand with you. Because many Jews were refusing to bow down and worship the gods of the culture. They're like, whatever happens, Matthias, we're with you. That's the question to the church. Are we with God? Are we with Him? Are we feeling the pressure to bow the knee to the gods of the culture? Wake up, church, because this is happening. And it's going to happen more and more and more until we grow a backbone, until we believe God is the God who will bring us out and set us free and redeem us and make us his own. Antiochus, 
tried to get God's people to abandon the Ten Commandments and all of his word, these would not. Judah, Judah Maccabee, say that. Judah Maccabee, the third son of Matthias, led the revolt against the stronger, more capable Syrian army. Judah Maccabee got together an army of farmers. Say it, farmers, workers, servants, Levites. And they all began together with one mind and one purpose by the power of the living God to hammer against those Assyrians and hammer against those Assyrians and hammer against those, those Assyrians. And finally Judah became known as Judah the Hammer. Say it. Judah the Hammer again. Judah the Hammer. And you better be a Kim the Hammer. And you better be a Zach the Hammer. And you better be a Ben the Hammer. And I better be a Pam the Hammer because it's coming. And I feel like I ought to warn you. It's already here, kids. It's all we have lost so much ground. Do you understand that? We got to stand in the spirit of Judah the hammer. And we cannot quit. We cannot quit. We must stay passionate. Not overnight, but in time. These, these guerrilla type warriors led by Judah the hammer, they were victorious over the Syrian madman and his army. Say it. They were victorious. Blow that trumpet, Zach. Very good. They were victorious. Let me tell you what they said. They had the spirit of I've got to tell you this. They had such a spirit, spirit of, of Mr. Valiant for truth. Say that. Mr. Valiant. For, have you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Let me tell you, Mr. Valiant for truth came on the stage, ready to die. And he said, my sword I leave to those who succeed me. My courage to them that can get it. But my scars I carry with me is my witness that I have fought the Lord's battles. We'll say it together. Repeat after me. My sword I leave, my sword I leave to those who succeed me. My courage to those who can get it. But my scars I carry with me as my witness that I have fought the Lord's battle. Let that be our let that be our call. Let me tell you something. Judah the hammer ran the Assyrians out and they were blasting that trumpet. And it was a sweet sound to their ears. And they walked and they saw the temple. And it was an absolute mess. There was work to be done. The altar that had been used to sacrifice pigs was torn down and a new one was built. Everything was cleansed and re. re ready and dedicated for the temple. The blood was scrubbed away, Zach. Blast that horn. The floors were washed and anointed. Blast that horn. Holy vessels were crafted. You're on, Zach. New curtains were sewn and hung. Blast it, Zach. The front of the temple had wreaths hung. Gates were rebuilt. And bread was placed. Fresh, fresh bread. The, very good. Let me tell you, talk about blasting the shofar. It hadn't been blasted in three years, and those people were blasting the... Go ahead. Four more, four more times, Zach. They were... No, no, no. 
the sound of freedom. They were blasting the sound of salvation. And they were blasting the sound of redemption. Give me a hand. Okay, I got a few minutes. I'm going to take them. They had to go in and totally and completely renew the temple, rededicate the temple. And they had it ready on December 25th, the 25th of Kislev. They had it ready for dedication on the very day three years earlier, Antiochus Epiphany had come in and ruined everything for them. So they got, everything was ready. They got the, the last thing was to put oil in the temple menorah. This hadn't been, done, hadn't been thought of yet. They only had enough oil, much to their horror, to burn for one day. Because it takes seven days to create a fresh, uh, holy batch of oil. And on the 25th of December, they were heartbroken. They only had enough oil to put in the temple menorah for one day. And the priest said, doesn't matter. Put it in the menorah. And the oil burned nonstop for eight days. Say it. Eight days. Don't miss the point. Day one was not a miracle. Why? How many days did it burn on a miracle from the living God? Seven days. And they said, whoa. From now on, December 25th is going to be a feast for us to remember. Say it. Remember again. Remember that God let his light burn for seven miraculous days. He will keep his covenant to his people. Say it. He will keep his covenant to his people. Now you say, why mine? (laughs) Because this candle is called the servant candle. Boy, doesn't that kick you in the gut? The servant candle then is taken off, and every night they they have a feast for eight nights. They have, let me tell you what they do. Gifts are given just like at Christmas. Eight days are marked by prayer and thanksgiving. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we draw this back into Christmas? The Bible is read and the story of Judah is told to the children. Special care is taken for the needy and the poor. Plays are put on by kids. And children, remember that Hanukkah is a festival of light. That we must be a light to the nations. That we must be a light to our homes. That we must be a light to our children. And the servant candle. Doesn't that remind you of Jesus? His last feast. With the boys on John chapter 13, I think. And they're over in the corner arm wrestling talking about who's the greatest. And they weren't about to take up the cloth and wash the dirty uh, toe jam, stinky feet, right? And so Jesus is the servant, for the servant is the most elevated in the eyes of a living God, right? Boy, we don't see it that way. The servant candle then lights the eight candles that makes us remember the miracle of this awesome story 165 years before Jesus was born. Now, you have a little gift. Everybody has a little gift Because these are the gifts that are passed out to all the family members during Hanukkah because they're fried in what? Oil. Oil. So you have with you today a happy Hanukkah gift. A jelly-filled donut 
had time to touch on it today, but give the Hanukkah a hand. And from now on, when you see a Hanukkah menorah, you'll know why it has nine candles, which also makes us think of the nine feasts. Okay, I have extra jelly donuts back there. So you are dismissed, and if you would like to take one for your sweetie pie, you can feel, you're very welcome to do that. This has been a presentation by Whitesbury Road Church. For more information, please visit wfrchurch.org.